Welcome to Tripping Over the Barrel, a series that highlights the unique personalities within the oil and gas industry and the stories they have to share with your hosts and lead storytellers, Tilo and Dr. Funkenstein. E-A-G. They're in the game. You like that, Tim? I just thought of that on the spot. That's good. I was going to come in chanting E-A-G. 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 Yeah. Now, some of my, my favorite peeps, some of my favorite consultants for sure in the game. We've got Elizabeth Gerbel and Lindsay Mersman on the call right now. And I believe, Tim, the first time that we've had two guests come on the podcast at once. First time we've had two at once. I think you know we'll have to get the mechanics worked out, maybe address people by name, your turn to talk or something like that. But we'll get it figured out, I'm sure. Yeah, I think we, I think we will. So, Quick story before we jump into um, all the questions and, and the fun stuff we have for the EAG ladies. So before Lindsay had come into my life, Elizabeth was running sort of a small consulting shop called EAG Services. I was at Bolo at the time, and it was made very clear to me by Mr. Chris Dinkler, whatever you do, don't piss off Elizabeth. And man, since since that time, it's safe to say, Elizabeth, you have a slightly larger than small consulting firm at this time. Would you say that's accurate? That is very accurate. Every day I look around and wonder, who's that person? And are they really supposed to be in our office space? Wow. Yeah. I, so, Jeremy, I have a similar story. So when, I, when we started with Energy Navigator 2010 or so, we were trying to sell AFE Navigator to somebody, some company, and they said, well, EAG, EAG Services is doing all the evaluation for us. So I spent the net, the better part of the next three months just trying to figure out a way to bias EAG to always recommend AFE Navigator. <laughs> <laughs> they can't be bought, yeah, to, Well, to their credit, they said, nope. We cannot do that. We have to maintain our neutrality and 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 all that. And if you're the right if you're the right decision for these guys, then then you'll be the right decision. So, was, yeah. Anyway, so I couldn't I couldn't bias them, even though I tried. <laughs> we just want you to work for it, Tim. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now we we've got a couple of of badass ladies on here. I know Lindsay Mersman, I believe, the pride of Punka City. Is that correct? I don't know if I'm the pride, but I am definitely from Ponca City. <laughs> wow, Ponca City. My uh, my family's from, uh, spent a little bit of time in Enid, so I know Ponca City pretty well. Yes, I always liked swimming against Enid because they had a 20-yard pool. So if I was ever running behind on the year in high school, I was, I was ready for the Enid meet so I could qualify for state because that five yards just really made a difference. Yeah. Well, if you ever get tired, you're right at the wall, right, at, you know, right away. You're just again. Two breaths and you're, you're doing a flip turn. <laughs> yeah. Enid High School, sponsored by Continental Resources in Haroldham. Yes. Oh, there you go. The Plainsman. <laughs> so, Elizabeth, where are you from? Are you a Houston gal? Is that where you grew up? Yeah, I grew up here. Born in Dallas, but moved here before I turned two. Um, and have been here ever since. Other than... Other than college. And your short stint. Oh, in Denver. Yeah. I was in Denver for a year and a half trying to understand what <laughs> in May. <laughs> I, I vaguely remember that. I want to say that was an SAP project, which had you up here for 18 months. Is that right? That's right. And when I arrived in Denver, I did not own one pair of closed toe shoes. <laughs> 
This yeah. is this is a story we heard on the I think the podcast that's coming out in a couple of days. We had a guy from Shreveport who then went to Tyler and then moved to Calgary and was like, I have to buy my first ever winter coat. So a little bit of a theme here on tripping over the barrel. Where, where did uh, both of you go to college? Lindsay, why don't you go first and then Elizabeth? I went to Oklahoma State, go Pokes. Um, so just about 45 minutes down the road from where I grew up. Um, but yeah, Stillwater, I loved it. I went to Texas A&M um, undergrad and then broke tradition and went to the University of Texas at Austin for my MBA. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out how that happened. Yeah, <laughs> it's confusing. So, so wait, so who do you root for when they play each other? Do they even play each other in football anymore? That assumes that Elizabeth likes sports, which is a big assumption, Jeremy. Yeah, I mix them up pretty much on purpose. So I will be like, yeah, I think, you know, we're going to go to a basketball game and it's a baseball game. <laughs> I told somebody we were going to watch a soccer game and it was football. So <laughs> I just like to um, ensure that nobody thinks I want to attend a sporting event. <laughs> <laughs> So that actually leads me to a question I really wanted to dive into. And, you know, Tim, if we look at, we've done 30 some odd episodes, it's mostly dudes. Like, I feel like we've actually had somewhat of a hard time finding women in the industry to come on this podcast. But it leads to a question that I'm really, really curious about is in a male dominated industry, how have you guys carved out such an unbelievable niche with what seems like a female-centric organization, at least at the leadership level, uh, and then even a lot of other people I've come across, it seems like you've embraced having strong women at your company, Elizabeth, and, and Lindsay with your hires. Mm -hmm. How have you guys carved out that niche in a male-dominated oil and gas industry? Well, I like to think that we live in the trifecta of male domination. We are consultants in IT within the energy industry. So we don't want to limit ourselves to just being women in energy. Um, but really, I don't know. I mean, at the end of the day, we hire based on people's skill sets and abilities and their fit within our culture. And it's just led to a really diverse group, but it has led to a lot of women in leadership positions and it's led to a lot of women across the organization. Yeah, I mean, as, as from my perspective, right, it's not like we sit around and say we must hire more women. Um, it just happens to be that we breed other really strong and um, pretty outstanding, talented women within the company. But we definitely don't walk around beating our chest saying we are women and we are going to do this, right? It's just kind of who we are. That's right. So do you think that that the hiring of women or the women being attracted to your company, it's a, uh, a comfort level and that's part of the culture or do you think, uh, or is, is it in, you said it's not intentional, but is there kind of an unintentional, they see strong women at the top and it makes them more comfortable to come and stay. Is, is that, do you think that's part of it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, at the end of the day, um, Within our consulting organization, a lot of the women were attracted that we hired were attracted to the fact that there's a female CEO. And some people just came right out and said, I've never worked for a company that was led by a woman. I really want to experience that. Um, and then I think 
other folks, you know, have learned about our culture, which I think is very unique. And that I think is uh, a result of uh, the difference between how women perceive the world and organizations. Um, and so that leads to high retention rates. Yeah. And to add a little bit more, you know, earlier we we're talking about birthdays, right? And how people don't always say happy birthday, or at least men don't, but Elizabeth and I do. So happy birthday, Jeremy. Happy birthday. <laughs> but I mean, things like that, celebrating the wins. Uh, making sure people really feel like they're appreciated. And, you know, we're all working really hard in a lot of hours and dedicating a lot of our life to work, right? You spend 80% of your time at work and 20% with your family. And I think part of our culture and what people like and attracting men and women and people from all different areas of the world um, is really that we celebrate. Like we are excited and proud of our employees for what they do. And we find every opportunity to make sure we let them know, not that they don't get hard messages sometimes when they do something wrong, but we also celebrate the wins and the good stuff. And that's what breeds a culture of long standing employees. Um, one of the thing on the women topic, I think, and one of the reasons that we are able to retain women, um, not just in their twenties or early thirties, but into their forties and beyond um, is because they do see other women in the organization who have children in a life and do have work-life balance and are able to stay in consulting um, longer than traditionally women can. Typically, people go and work for Accenture or PwC. They're there for five years, 10 years, and then they leave because they want to start a family. But we've figured out a way to actually incorporate that both for the men and the women within EAG to make sure family can be a part of this crazy consulting world that we're in. Man, I, I love that. Thank you, guys. And first of all, thank you. It is my birthday today. Um, I can't just say, you know, like your your best friend, Lindsay, says, I'm a man, I'm 40. Well, I'm a man, I'm 41. It doesn't have the same ring to it, but whatever. I'll, I'll go with it. Whichever. Um, no, <laughs> I'm, I'm curious from maybe some of the early days. This is, this is very much like a cowboy club. It is an old boys industry, right? If you see some of your competition, it's very much male dominated. And then you go in and you're looking at most of the C-suites in the oil and gas space, particularly upstream. It's mostly men and maybe the head of land or head of legal is a female. How have you navigated those waters when it's like, okay, yeah, you're from the Texas A&M club or the OSU club, but nonetheless, there are some people that were in the same fraternity together, people who uh, grew up in the industry. How have you been able to combat that and still have such a dominant position in the uh, consulting world? Yeah, I really think that it comes down to what people are looking for coming out of projects. Um, they really want these projects to be successful. They're taking a lot of risks. And one of the things that we've spent a lot of our time on over the years is <clears throat> focusing on doing the right things at the right time and making things right when we make a mistake. And so people trust us to get their projects done and done well. And so I do think we bring a sense of comfort to them around that. But also, I mean, over the years, I've had a lot of um, guys in the C-suites that are clients just come up to me and sit next to me and go, hey, 
I've got a daughter in high school and I'd really like for her to meet you or, you know, my daughter's in college. Can you give me some advice on how to make sure that she, you know, survives and succeeds in the business world? So I think a lot of guys look at their daughters and think, you know, I want them to be successful. And therefore, you know, they look at us and think, okay, well, you know, that drives their support of what we're doing and, and of us as consultants in their organization. Yeah. As, a, as a father of daughters, I may ask them to ask my kids to talk to you as well. <laughs> I, I do want to, you know, I, it strikes me that we didn't really get into what EAG services and, and uh, what EAG one sourcing, what you guys do. If you, if you want to break that down, just kind of break that down for us and for I mean, Jeremy and I think we have an understanding, but maybe for sure. our listeners, just real quick, what you guys do there. Yeah. I'll give you my elevator pitch, but before okay. that, I want to circle back to what Elizabeth just said about, um, you know, kind of combating the boys club or the cowboys club or whatever you want to call it. Um, my, my take on that too, and she was saying it, but I'm going to say it a little more bluntly. It's our references and that's how we've been able to combat it. So when I started in this role, um, at EAG, I was always saying, oh, Elizabeth, we got to the final mile and we didn't get hired. And all the time she'd say, it's because you don't get fired for hiring or people would give us that feedback, right? Fill in the blank with another acronym company. Um, or, you know, he's a buddy of this guy on the board. So that's why they got hired. And so we've worked really, really hard over the last seven years to combat that through what she was saying, but make sure that we have that reference at the end of the day, because our clients are our best advocates. And I will say that's probably the biggest thing that's helped us get over that hurdle and be a name that people know um, and are okay with, it's fine because we know EAG will always deliver. So it's really our clients that have helped us over that hurdle um, and gotten us to where we are today. Yeah, eventually it always has to come back to the value that you add. Yeah. That's how you're going to grow your business, right? All right, so the elevator pitch. Yes. So, okay, so we represent two logos, which is probably confusing to people, but really we're all EAG Collective. We're one company with two fairly distinctive uh visions and paths. So, you know, for 17 years, almost 18 now, actually, um, we've had EAG services, which is more of your traditional consulting company, um, but focused exclusively on oil and gas. I mean, just like it is for the operators, this is our industry. This is where we live, breathe, and get excited about things, right? So we're, we're in it with them. And from a consulting standpoint, we do software evaluations, implementations, a lot of merger and acquisition work as it relates to IT and data, right? We're not transacting deals for people, but we're helping figure out if you buy this asset, how are we going to onboard it and make sure you know your data in a very short amount of time. Sometimes no TSA, which is not our favorite. Please always sign at least a 60 day. Um, but really, we'd love 120. Um, but yeah, merger and acquisition work. Also, it's very important uh, when you implement these systems and you're an oil and gas operator that you can report off of what it is you're doing within the system. So we do a lot of work around reporting and analytics and how to help our clients make decisions, leveraging technology where possible versus a bunch of humans having to look at things manually and come up with answers. So that's our consulting business. And, you know, in um, 2000. 15 and 16, Elizabeth had a vision around the merger and acquisition stuff. So we started really focusing on that. Um, it was a little early, <laughs> but it geared us up for 2017 coming out of the downturn. And we started helping a lot of the private equity startups go from zero to a lot in a very short amount of time. 
right? They've been somewhere else. They've used systems before, but they're saying we're going to do it different this time. How are we going to do it? What's our infrastructure look like? What are the contracts we have to sign? How are we going to get this done? So after doing startup after startup, our clients started saying, well, Elizabeth, you know the systems, you know the processes, you're training our people, Why aren't you actually just outsourcing and taking care of this for us? So really at the demand of our clients, one source was born, which is a full-scale back office IT, back office and IT outsourcing organization. So what we did with one source was we took all of our learning from a consulting firm, looked at all the technology that's out there and put together a platform of technology and also very smart humans from different oil and gas operators to build this outsourcing organization. So within that, we provide um, accounting, production accounting, land administration, division order, owner relations, outsourcing services. So we either do all of the work or we work in conjunction with the operator. In addition to providing full-scale IT, so we can be your IT director, we can be your business analyst, um, and we're actually designing your cloud and infrastructure strategy, managing all of your cybersecurity, making sure in the field you've got all the SCADA data running correctly and reporting back to the HQ, um, along with, I guess, one other department that I didn't talk about, but our digital solutions group, who does a lot of development um, from a reporting, a data management, an AI standpoint, um, really kind of bringing a power force together is what I say. So if anyone sits through one of my presentations, I'll talk about our power force. Um, but really, we bring that consulting, the industry experts who have actually done transactional work for oil and gas companies um, all together into the collective EAG. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Elizabeth approves. No, that was that was awesome. And for me, it was elevator because ride, I, though. <laughs> I, w- I was always, <laughs> yeah. It's a uh, World Trade Center if you're if you're talking my. Uh, she won't let you out of the elevator. No. <laughs> so, so that's it's. I've been really impressed too, uh, Lindsay. I was on a, a presentation that you were in recently and was able to see what you're doing from a document management standpoint. What you guys have created out of the box with Power BI, which is just much different. I, I you know, normally or at least traditionally had seen you doing vendor selection or possibly some integration work or identifying what best of breed solutions existed, but you guys really have your technology chops too. So kudos on that. The question I want to ask you two, because you both have your, your pulse on the market. What are some of the, the technology trends that you've seen in the last couple of years? Like, like for example, you mentioned uh, AI and maybe robotic process automation um, mobility, cloud, what are some of the things you're starting to see in the many conversations you have with your clients and prospective clients? Yeah, what we're really seeing is this acceptance of what the market is. So in my opinion, we've been in a downturn since mid-2014. Um, we've had a few yep. little peaks but. You know, we're more in the hill country than the Rockies right now with what's been going on in the oil and gas industry. Um, So I'm seeing a lot of focus on how to minimize the number of team members required within an oil and gas company, but maximizing the, the skill set and experience of those people and yeah, bringing in technology to automate the more routine and rote type of activities. I'm also seeing a lot more 
need and desire around reporting where folks in the past, I think, focused more on their gut feel of running a business. Now it's very much show me the numbers and I need the numbers now, not four days from now. And I need to be able to drill into those numbers and get my questions answered immediately rather than looking at numbers, asking another question, and then having folks come back a few days later with that answer. So folks are really looking for immediate information and it's not data. They're looking for information to help them make the decisions that are required um, to really drive their businesses to positive cash flow, profitability, and the return on investment that's feasible within these commodity prices. Um, and so that leads to other um, technologies around gathering the data so that they can get that information. So I really think that's what it is. It's process improvement, doing more with less, and pulling the relevant data into an information um, dashboard that allows people to make decisions. Nice. Yeah. That Lindsay, you want to chime in on that? I was just going to say from a choosing technology standpoint, I think because of where society in general is at with technology from our iPhones to our AirPods to now we've all had to be digital um, hundred percent for the last nine months or however long it is at nine, something like that. Um, I also think that oil and gas is more open to change finally and is willing to not just say, well, I've always done this, so I'm going to continue to do it, but are actually starting to embrace an alternative and looking at the new technology and bringing that in-house and trusting technology more than they ever have before. Do you think that that transition is COVID related or we all heard about the great crew change? Is it that the great crew change has occurred and we're starting to move to a younger uh, a younger audience for this type of thing. So what, what do you think is a primary driver there? This sudden change for COVID or maybe a change in the demographics? I think it's a change in the demographics, but also the market has forced out people who are not willing to change. The number of bankruptcies in this industry has been huge. And the folks who are part of those management teams either change or have, there's no room for them in the market anymore. Yeah, I, I would totally agree with that. So another question on the COVID front, since it seems like this sort of never ending, this 2020 has been insane. We can all agree on that. You guys were always, you know, always willing to get on the airplane, go and meet with people, dinners, lunches, happy hours, hand-holding in, the, meet, in the, the conference room, doing trainings. How have you been able to adapt um, in this COVID environment where there's a lot less of that happening? Yeah, there has been a lot less. Um, in some ways, it's been hard, not because we don't get to meet with people, but because we are kind of locked in the office and you start to feel a little yeah. isolated. But um, I've been really amazed. I mean, honestly, you all, you guys have known me for a long time. And 
I really, with COVID, I wasn't quite sure what that would mean for us. And then with the oil prices going negative, I, I know Lindsay had to spend a full day, day drinking with me through that experience. <laughs> <laughs> First hit immediately. And I'm like, no, this is going to be okay. And then the next day I was like, yeah, so there were two people <laughs> drinking, one her supporting me and one me supporting her. Um, and, we, you know, our team that is over financials was like, look, this is just going to be devastating because we're down into another extreme valley for oil and gas. But I, I, I'm just been amazed and so pleased with how things have transpired. You know, Lindsay may have had her one day down, but that was it. She hit the ground. I hit the ground. We were here um, at the office, just the two of us and one other person who would go bike riding at 7 p.m. and come back at 9 p.m. And we were still there whiteboarding, figuring out who to call, what to do. And we have seen growth this year. It has not been a down year for EAG. So that's really all a result of the sheer efforts, Herculean efforts of the team to not give up, never surrender. Um, and really, we started talking about how we could thrive in this downturn rather than survive survive survival only has never been a mode of our thought process and that's not just elizabeth and i that's across the executive team and then all the employees that um, report to them as well right so since 2018 we've grown from a company of around 45 people to with a few contractors you know us we have more employees than contractors um we're just at a hundred people now. Holy cow. Wow. Wow. I had no idea. And 30 plus of those were hired after the world shut down in March. Yeah. <laughs> I think we've Whoa. had 35 people join us during COVID. Wow. One of the things that, that I've thought is pretty impressive with, with what you guys have done is you've been quick to snatch talented people when there's a reduction in force at a company, right? Like the whole, we've talked about the whole EQT rice thing. That was crazy. You guys wasted no time. You're like, I'm going to take you, I'm going to take you. And you basically all of a sudden had top business analysts, CIO level people that you could immediately put on engagements where other organizations may have to place two or three people. You're able to place one and they get that immediate cost benefit and, and value from having that person in the company. Hearing about that level of growth, have you thought about what 2022, 2025 looks like for you? Is, is Elizabeth, has the plan ever been to, oh, I'll sell this thing to Accenture or Deloitte or somebody else will want to scoop it up? Or is it, we've got a good thing. We'll keep growing organically and we're going to have 250 people by 2025. So I don't really look at it from a headcount perspective, even though I know there are others that are running these numbers behind the scenes. <laughs> yeah. um, so I really kind of, Lindsay came to me one day, you know, can, maybe can the I, day I, drinking led to night drinking. Can I pause for just a second? <laughs> could actually see us and the massive grins we got on our face from that question, Jeremy. So yeah, anyways, continue. because so <laughs> nice. we're talking and Lindsay's like, no, 
I really want to see us not at eight figures, but nine figures as a business, uh, gross revenue, and we were throwing around some numbers. So we planned out our 2021 planning session, and I'm like, well, what can we do? And started throwing down numbers um, to Lindsay and Amanda and just stunned faces. Um, but yeah, we have some very significant growth plans um, as an organization and uh, got the whole executive and leadership team together uh, this year for a three-day offsite. And frankly... Responsibly socially distanced, by the way. <laughs> certainly, certainly. Totally. And um, they all embraced it, like even came up with a hashtag slogan around it. So we're all lined up and ready to go. So within the next 10 years, we expect to have not only some strong revenue numbers beyond what we've done to date um, by a significant magnitude, but also uh, focused on our valuation and um, our value in the marketplace. So very exciting. And, and one of the things, again, we talked about this earlier with our advocates and our, our clients being our references. One thing the leadership team is also dedicated to is not growing for growth's sake, but growing in a meaningful way and ensuring right. that our quality and the standard of what EAG delivers is intact the entire time. Um, so we are committed to that as much as we are the numbers and will not let the numbers win and the quality suffer. Um, and and it, it's not, again, it's not just growth. It's that we really like what we do. I was, Elizabeth and I were talking last night and I'm like, oh, you know, sometimes this is a grind, but at the end of the day, like, I'm happy. Like, I love what I get to do and the people we get yeah. to talk to and what we're delivering to clients. And it's not just a line or a stick. It is what it is. Like, we are happy. We enjoy our clients. And um, so anyways, although the market will see growth from us, um, we also are very uh, just as committed to the quality along the way. That's very inspiring. And our culture. Yeah. So I want to yeah. take you guys back a little bit. So I, I looked my uh, crack research that I was doing on you guys, uh, you know, on what's available on LinkedIn is what that means. So <laughs> Neither neither of you seem to have gone to school with the intent of, hey, I'm going to go into the oil and gas business. Uh, you know, you had various runs in either consulting or, Lindsay, you were in pharmaceutical sales. Which was crazy. Yeah, my background's a little weird. <laughs> well, well, I mean, the, the, I guess the question is, why? Uh, why choose oil and gas? I think, uh, Elizabeth, you had a pivot point in, what, 2003. So, all right, I'm going to go start this thing. Why, why go into oil and gas and go this route? Yeah, so I graduated from UT with my MBA um, in 2001, which was a devastating year all around with the bubble bursting on the dot-coms. Remember those days when putting dot-com at the end of your name that your stock price went up? Absolutely. Um, yeah. <laughs> of course. And then they all became worthless like in a day. So I graduated when offers were being rescinded. Nobody, you know, start dates for even large companies were getting pushed out. The consulting groups were all struggling. So some guys from business school asked me to join them in a business venture that they had started. You should definitely ask questions when somebody says that. 
(laughs) (laughs) That's all they had was a name. (laughs) Um, But anyway, we did that together for a couple of years and eventually landed working in oil and gas. And I really enjoyed it. Like it was complicated. It was intriguing. Um, What was even better was that my dad had been in oil and gas for 27 years, but never in upstream. He was in midstream and downstream, and he could not answer a single question I had about oil and gas. And I'm like, well, that means this is a complicated and super fun industry. So that's how I landed here. Yeah, which which means it's going to be, there's an opportunity if it's complicated, right? That's right. And my journey to oil and gas, or really EAG, because that's where oil and gas started for me, was just a little bit different. Um, my background, as you said, you're you're what I call LinkedIn stalking. I'm I'm very proud to do that on a lot of people. But oh yeah, it's great research, great research. <laughs> um, so my background is in hospitality and sales. That's really where I started out. Um, family through different ways was involved in oil and gas. My stepmom had a um, 35 year career at ConocoPhillips. My dad late in life got engaged in investing in oil and gas properties through a very random deal. He's an IT banking guy originally. Um, and actually both of my brothers ended up in oil and gas as well, but it was never really on target for me. And I was always aware of it growing up in Oklahoma, Ponca city. You can't be from anywhere around where I am without knowing ConocoPhillips and you know, all of that. Everyone bleeds oil and gas. Um, but Outside of interning for Chesapeake in high school in their hospital or in college in their hospitality division, which there's lots of stories around that and some of the cool wow. things with Chesapeake, but um, I was going to join as one of the you know hospitality side of Chesapeake, not actually in the operations. Um, but anywho, through friends at ConocoPhillips, uh, I was actually introduced to Elizabeth when my pharmaceutical company I was working for lost a patent and laid off 1,400 people in one swoop. No matter where you were in the company, you were gone because they just lost billions of dollars. Um, I got introduced to Elizabeth and I call it dating because we really kind of did. She said, what am I going to do with this hospitality salesperson? (laughs) And I was like, what am I going to do in an oil and gas consulting company? And so it really was like a three-month process of us talking, me talking to friends saying, I don't know about this. I mean, People talk great about the company, but is this a fit for me? And her convincing different executives at times to talk to me and then them convincing her, you must hire her. (laughs) This is the weirdest recruiting experience ever. I took a bunch of clients out to happy hour at um, Lupe's Mexican Tortilla. So Tim's a fan. Oh, big fan. fan. Big fan have this big table, not like there's got to be at least eight or 10 of us at this table. And I'm looking to my left, talking to that side of the table. And I look over at the other side to include them. And all of them are leaning in. And they're all looking at me very expectantly. And I'm like, what the heck is going on? And they start telling me, you know, you really need to interview this person, Lindsay Mersman. I think one of them actually whipped out her resume from her purse. (laughs) 
I knew nothing of this, by the way. And start, and they all start talking at me simultaneously about how I have to hire Lindsay. So then I go into the company and I start talking to one of our VPs who's over hiring, and I'm like, hey. I was at this happy hour yesterday. I pull out the resume that's now in my purse. I'm like, you have to interview Lindsay. And I get this whole rigmarole about how we do not have the time or the resources to hire an analyst level, which is our lowest level in the organization. We don't, we can't address this, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, look, you don't have to hire her, but you have to talk to her. And like, hey, aren't your initials on the door? You can, we're going to hire, we're going to interview. We're going to interview. So she walks in a few days later or a couple of weeks later, actually. I think there was all this back and forth. And she comes in and she's, I'm look up from my computer and she's standing with her hands on her hips going, we have to hire this woman. I mean, I don't understand why you are so opposed to hiring an analyst. <laughs> It's like her idea and not my idea. And I'm like, well, I concede. If we have to hire her, we have to hire her. Yeah. Man, <laughs> so, Lindsay, I think your, your negotiating uh, for your next raise is going on right here. I think so. It is performance review time. Yeah. <laughs> So, but just to wrap up that story and getting to oil and gas. So I did end up joining EAG as an analyst and spent two years in consulting delivery. So really getting to know our projects, by the way, those clients that told her that she needed to hire me, she made them work with me. Yeah. I, I put her on her project. Hey, this is your project. And they introduced her to the, their team as having this whole like resume of, of industry experience, gas, which I, I did. Which made me laugh too. Um, but it was great. And I loved starting in the position I did and working through the projects I did because now in the role I serve for the company, I have such a better understanding of what it actually takes to deliver, um, what I'm selling and telling people will deliver. So it's been a fun journey to oil and gas. It actually, even though I wasn't set out to do it, it's home, right? And uh, it definitely is where I was supposed to be. So yeah, it was great. And then of course the story on how she ended up in business development is oh, yeah. also very fun, too. fun um, because apparently I just wanted to get her into the role and wasn't thinking about how she would receive the information. It was during, it was during the outcome of the 2015, 14, 15 crash. She calls me the same day she had to let go of half the company. Oh no. She's never called me before. We've never sat down one-to-one. And somehow I don't really know how, and probably today I wouldn't respond this way or maybe I would, I don't know. She offers me the position and I said, can I have some time to think about it? <laughs> <laughs> and I call my COO immediately. I'm like, what is there to think about? Yeah. I mean, I, I shortly after hung up the phone and go, oh, that probably, if I say no, I don't have a job. <laughs> like, oh, I'm getting great. fired, got, went to changing jobs to me, then almost getting myself fired again. <laughs> Uh, to, to a very good conversation on that Friday, an acceptance, and a really fun ride for the last uh, five years. So, well, that's that's awesome. And you know, I'll say this: twenty twenty has been a shit year for many, many reasons. But for me, being a W and all the time that we get to spend with EAG as a partner has been awesome. 
you guys have a great, great culture, your bulldogs. And, um, you know, I wish you nothing but the best going forward. Tim. Yeah. yeah I think, I think you, you've, it is very inspiring to, it's a woman run company with a lot of very talented men and women in the company. So it's great to see you kind of leading that charge and giving and being that example, leading by example and providing that, that great culture for people to be in. And, you know, quite honestly, as a father of three daughters, I'm ha- I'm very happy to see it. Well, that's, I, I appreciate that feedback and glad that you're, you guys are seeing that externally um, regarding the, the working relationship, Jeremy, it's been great. I, I've heard your name for so many years and it's this year where we finally got to meet. Um, so it seems like we've known each other longer, but uh, it's been fun. And, you know, we, we keep throwing around the idea of intern programs, Tim. So internships and, and some mentoring. So we'll have to stay posted as your girls get older. Yeah. I'm not so sure they're interested in oil and gas. <laughs> the uh, if, you, if, you've got a, if you've got a position for a sign language interpreter, my youngest will be very oh. interested. <laughs> That's awesome that she, so she has learned to do that. She's uh, she's in her third year of it, and she's going to go get a four-year degree in sign language. And this is when my kids come down here to celebrate my birthday and make all kinds of noise. So I think think this is where we cut it. Thank you, guys. Yeah. Thanks. That was fun. Bye. Bye. Bye.